Okay, Matthew, chapter 15 this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 15, and let's <clears throat> just read verse 14. And then we'll have a word of prayer. I'll oh, start in verse 13. Matthew chapter 15, verse 13 says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if, they, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, once more for this wonderful day. We thank you for this opportunity to be together in this place and to come and uh, consider your word. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us understanding of the passage before us, that you would teach us and instruct us through it, that you would refresh us. Uh, bless us, Lord, through your word. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that you would empower me now through the Spirit, that you give me the words to say, that you give me wisdom, as only you can give, and that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified in all these things, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, we've been considering uh, some of the parable sayings of our Lord, at least we were before I went away on holidays. That's what we've been going through. And this morning we come to the saying found here in verse 14. Uh, they be blind, leaders of the blind. And this is a parable saying that our Lord uses on two separate occasions throughout his ministry. Uh, the first of these occasions was actually during the Sermon on the Mount. Turn over to Luke chapter 6 quickly with me. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6 and verse 39. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? In Luke chapter 6, we have Luke's record of the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke tells us that towards the end of Christ's sermon there that day, he spoke a series of short parable sayings. And the first of those little parable sayings was this one, concerning the blind leading the blind. And here in Luke chapter 6, we see that it's, it's given as a question, isn't it? You know, Christ says, can the blind lead the blind? It's a simple rhetorical question. Where the answer is obvious, isn't it? No. You know, the blind cannot safely lead someone else who is blind. It's a simple question, a simple rhetorical question with a simple answer. And it's obvious already as you read the parable that Christ is using this parable to teach that certain men are unqualified, unable to safely lead others. And in particular, he's talking about spiritual matters. You know, there are certain men that shouldn't be in those positions of leadership, shouldn't be followed by others. And in Luke chapter 6, Christ doesn't actually point out anyone in particular. He doesn't give us a clear indication of who he's talking about. We already, uh, I'm sure, can know and guess who he's talking about. But when he uses it later on in Matthew chapter 15, Christ is very clear who he is speaking about. In Matthew chapter 15, it becomes very clear that the leaders Christ has in mind are the religious leaders of the day, it's the scribes, the Pharisees. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 15 there in verse 12, <clears throat> it says, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? 
And he said, uh, he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And so Christ here very clearly is speaking about the scribes and the Pharisees. That's who he's pointing to at this time here in Matthew 15. He labels them blind leaders of the blind. But what exactly prompted our Lord to make this declaration? What prompted the Lord to use this parable saying in connection with the scribes and Pharisees here in Matthew chapter 15? And, and what exactly is Christ teaching his disciples and teaching us with this little parable saying? Well, let's begin first of all here this morning by considering the context of the parable. The context of the parable. Let's just read from verse 1. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said to them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, but whatsoever thou mightest be provided by me, profited by me, and honour not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So chapter 15 <coughs> begins with this interaction between the scribes and Pharisees and the Lord. And in particular, it's a group of scribes and Pharisees who have travelled from Jerusalem up to Galilee where Christ is ministering at this time, and they've come to confront the Lord. We see that there in verse 1. It says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem. And so they've come up from Jerusalem, and it, it seems that they're like a, a delegation. They've been sent by the Sanhedrin. And they've come to confront the Lord concerning his teaching. And in particular, the area of concern, the area of contention for them is that Christ's disciples are not following the tradition of the elders. We see that there in verse 2. It says, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. In verse 2, uh, we see them ask the Lord here. They say, you know, why do your disciples not wash your hands before they eat bread like the tradition of elders tells us we should? Now, the washing of hands here has nothing to do with being clean. Okay? It has nothing to do with sanitary reasons. It's not like we wash our hands before a meal today and we do it for hygiene, don't we? Okay? To make sure we have clean hands. It's, it's got nothing to do with that. This is not uh, to do with clean, cleanliness. This washing of hands here was ceremonial. This washing of hands was something the Orthodox Jews would go through before they touched any of their food. Just turn over to Mark chapter 7 with me. We have Mark's account of this same interaction and he elaborates on it a little bit more. Mark chapter 7 and verse 1. It says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not. 
holding the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen, vessel, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? And so in Mark's account, we have a little bit more information uh, given to us here about this event. He elaborates on this, this hand washing here. And he talks about how it's a ceremonial act of purification. You notice in verse 2 it says, And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled hands. You see, they viewed it as that you were defiled. Unless you washed yourself first, you were unclean. You were defiled. And so they would go through these ceremonial washings, this ritual, to make sure that before they ate... And also, it says, when returning from the market, they would do this as well. And, and also, it says, with their cups, their pots, their, their vessels, they would do all this. They would go through all these washings, all to make sure that they were spiritually pure. Nothing to do with hygiene. hygiene. This is all about them believing they had to do this to be pure before God. Gusick notes this. He says, the religious leaders meant uh, elaborate ceremonial washings. Not washing for the sake of cleanliness. The observant Jews of that time strictly observed a rigid and extensive ritual for washing before meals. You see, in essence, they were worried that if they ate without doing this, they were unclean before God. They were spiritually unclean. You see, they tied purity to an outward action, didn't they? They tied purity to an outward action Instead of understanding that purity is something that takes place in the heart. You see, outward things that we touch or that we eat, put into our bodies, these things cannot affect our spirituality. But the religious leaders of Christ's day didn't understand that. They were spiritually ignorant. And this problem stemmed from the weight that they gave to the tradition of the elders. You notice there in... Our uh, passage this morning, Matthew 15 and verse 2 there. The accusation there is, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? It's not why do thy disciples transgress the word of God. It's why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They gave too much weight to this tradition. Now the tradition of the elders here is what's called the Mishnah. Okay, it's the Mishnah. You've probably heard that term before. It was a collection of oral traditions, interpretations of the law of God that were passed down from one generation to the next. And so, you know, the, the rabbi would teach his students and they would then teach their students and so on. And they'd also add their own interpretations along the way. And so each rabbi would add their own. And so you can see how this collection of traditions grew exponentially. And it got to the point where it was too many to be memorized, because that's originally how it was passed down. You had to memorize them all. It got to the point where it was too many, and so in around AD 200, a rabbi named Yehudah commissioned them to be written down. And it became called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah became more important to the scribes and the Pharisees than the law of God itself. This became higher, if you like, than the word of God. More important. 
They elevated the tradition of elders, the Mishnah, above God's word. You know, if you like, whatever the Mishnah said was Bible. It was gospel for the scribes and Pharisees. And it's the Mishnah that they are accusing the disciples of disregarding and trespassing against. And notice that Christ now responds by pointing out this very error, the elevation of the Mishnah above God's word. Look in verse 3. It says, But he answered and said unto them, Why do you, or ye, also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? It's almost amusing, isn't it? They accused the disciples of transgressing the tradition of the elders, and Christ turns around and he says, Why do you transgress the very law of God by your tradition? You see, Christ points out their, grow, their grave error, doesn't he? You've elevated something that's not God's word to be above the very word of God itself. And then he gives them a very clear example of this sin. Read me verse 4. It says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, but whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Christ gives a very clear example of this uh, elevation of the mission above the word of God. And he points to the practice of escaping their financial responsibility, in particular towards their, their mother and their father, escaping that by declaring the money is a gift, it belongs to God. It's Corbin money, as it says in another passage. See, according to the tradition, the Mishnah, because they had committed that money to God, they had dedicated it to the Lord, it couldn't be used to support their mother and father. It, is, it escaped them from that obligation. It was God's money. Now, they could still use it for themselves, but they couldn't give it away. They couldn't use it for someone else. And so by this tradition, they disobeyed the law of God. Honor thy father and mother. Very clear commandments. By this tradition, they escaped it, and they saw no problem with this. In verse 7 and 9, Christ then plainly declares their hypocrisy. He says in verse 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their, lip, their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Lord now quotes from Isaiah 29 verse 13. We won't turn there. But he quotes from this passage and he declares that they honored God with their lips, with their mouths. You know, they said, it's Corbin money. It belongs to God. Just one example. They honored God with their mouths, but their hearts were very far from the Lord. And the result of this was that their worship was in vain. It was empty. It was worthless. Because they elevated the commandments of men above the very word of God. That's what he says there in verse 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So Christ here has given a very sharp rebuke, hasn't he, to the scribes and Pharisees for their, their grave error here in elevating the Mishnah above God's word. And after he issues this sharp rebuke, Christ turns around and he addresses the multitude. Look in verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. 
Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Christ turns around and now he addresses the multitude. And as he addresses the multitude, he's returning back to the original uh, question or accusation by the Pharisees. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of elders by not washing their hands? As we said earlier, the tradition of elders stated that they had to go through this ceremonial washing to be clean, spiritually clean, pure before God. And Christ now makes it very clear that the washing of hands, or the lack thereof, or anything else external such as the food that we eat, these things cannot affect our spirituality. Spiritual purity is a matter of the heart, Christ says. It has nothing to do with what you touch or what you eat. It's a matter of the heart. And so with this statement, particularly in verse 11, Christ here completely contradicts and dismisses the scribes and Pharisees and their teaching, doesn't he? Just look there in verse 11. He says, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Christ contradicts and he dismisses their teaching concerning the washing of hands and other things, these external rites. He says those things do not affect your spirituality. And it's no surprise then, is it, that the Pharisees are greatly offended. They're greatly offended by what Christ has said and the disciples notice their reaction. Look in verse 12. It says, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? They now come to the Lord and they said, Lord, do you know how much you upset the scribes and Pharisees just then with what you said? Do you understand how much you offended them? You know, the fact that the disciples noticed how offended they were tells us that their reaction was very evident, wasn't it? You know, they were quite upset. They're quite angry here with the Lord. And perhaps the disciples are, are fearful of what the reaction is going to be. What's the response going to now be? You know, our Lord, he knew he had offended them. And he's not afraid or concerned about what their response is going to be. Indeed, we read our Lord's response to this in verse 13. It says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. You see, in verse 13, Christ declares, he says, the Pharisees and their teaching, it's going to fail. He says, it's going to fail because it's not planted by God. He says, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. He says, it'll be rooted up in time. It's not of the Lord. Their teachings and they themselves would not last. Spurgeon wrote on this verse, he said, there was no need for the disciples to combat the Pharisees, they would be uprooted by the natural order of things, by the inevitable consequences of their own course. They were themselves going to destroy themselves in time. And Christ knew this. Christ knew their teachings would fail. And so for this reason, he begins verse 14 with these words. He says, let them alone. He tells his disciples to let them alone. Now, we could translate these words, let them go, give them up, leave them. 
He basically tells his disciples here, he says, separate from them. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what they're saying about you or about us. Separate from them and have nothing to do with them and their doctrine. Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, have no converse with them or concern for them. Neither court their favor nor dread their displeasure. Care not, though they be offended. They will take their course and let them take the issue of it. They are wedded to their own fancies and will have everything their own way. Let them alone. Christ says, just let them alone. Separate from them. Don't be concerned for them or concerned about their opposition. As following these words, let them alone, that Christ now gives this parable saying. You see, this is the lead up to it. This is the context in which these words are given. They be blind leaders of the blind. And Christ gives this parable saying here to teach two important lessons. Two important lessons as to why the disciples and indeed us must depart from these false teachers. Why we must let them alone. So let's look secondly here this morning at the lessons of the parable. The lessons of the parable. Just look there again with me in verse 14. It says, let them alone. They be blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. This parable saying Christ here gives a very succinct and a very accurate assessment of the scribes and Pharisees. And he points out to his disciples and indeed unto us two key points about false teachers. The first of these points is the ignorance of false teachers. The ignorance of false teachers. He calls them here blind leaders of the blind. He says they're blind. And the blindness that Christ is speaking about here is spiritual blindness, isn't it? That's what he's talking about. It's spiritual blindness. They are spiritually ignorant. And we've seen that in the context already, haven't we? They're spiritually ignorant. You know, the sad thing about the the Pharisees' blindness is that it was self-inflicted. It was self-inflicted. Go over with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 19. It says, This is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, light has come into the world, and yet the Pharisees and the scribes chose darkness. The light was there, yet they chose darkness. They rejected the light, they rejected the truth. They chose instead to remain in the darkness of sin, the darkness of unbelief. And their blindness was the direct result of the hardness of their heart to the truth. Matthew 13 verse 15 speaks of how they willingly closed their eyes to the truth. Just turn there, Matthew 13. Matthew 13 verse 15 It says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. The scribes and the Pharisees had closed their eyes to the truth. They had deliberately closed their eyes to the truth. 
You know, the evidence that Christ was indeed their Messiah was there for them to see, wasn't it? It was plain. It was obvious. All they had to do was to look honestly at his miracles. Look at his doctrine and the things that he taught. Look at the fulfillment of prophecy around his birth. And yet they willfully closed their eyes to the truth. They hardened their hearts and blindness was the result. And so their blindness was self-inflicted. But their blindness was also self-deluding. Go to John chapter 9 with me. John chapter 9 and verse 40. We'll start in verse 39. It says, And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus, uh, Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. The Pharisees said, Are we blind also? They, they elevated themselves. They thought that they were the only ones who could see. They were deluded. They were deluded into thinking that, hey, we alone can see. No one else can, but we can. And they were so full of pride that they took themselves these positions of leadership. We'll lead others to the truth. We're what the people need. You know, almost ironically, the religious leaders of the day viewed themselves as being leaders of the blind. Go over to Romans 2 with me. This is how they viewed themselves. <clears throat> Romans chapter 2 and verse 17 says, And it came to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit. Sorry, I'm in Acts instead of Romans. What am I doing? As soon as I started reading, this is not the right passage. (laughs) Acts chapter 2 verse 17. Uh, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resisteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God. And knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou art thyself a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and the truth in the law. You see, they viewed themselves as teachers of the blind, leaders of the blind, because they thought they could see. They believed that they were the only ones fit to take these positions of leadership and lead the blind to the truth. Lead the blind out of darkness into the lights. Yet the sad reality is that they themselves were completely blind. Spiritually ignorant. Matthew Henry wrote this, They were grossly ignorant in the things of God and strangers to the spiritual nature of the divine law and yet so proud that they thought they saw better and further than anyone else. And therefore they undertook to be leaders of others, to show others the way to heaven, when they themselves knew not one step of the way. You see, this is the sad reality of the scribes and Pharisees, wasn't it? They were so blind to the truth. And their ignorance has already been clearly shown in this passage in the context before, this elevation of the Mishnah above the very word of God shows their their ignorance. They thought holiness, spiritual purity, was by these outward actions. 
They thought what they ate or what they touched could defile them spiritually. They raised, raised the tradition of men above the very word of God. They had no understanding of how men should truly approach under God. They taught a works-based salvation, contrary to the word of God. And that brings us now, secondly, the other lesson. The second important lesson here is the danger of these false teachers. The danger of these false teachers. Read there again with me, verse 14. It says, Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. You see, the worst part about the spiritual blindness of false teachers like the scribes and the Pharisees, the worst part about their spiritual blindness is that they are leading others into destruction. Christ here says, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Both shall fall into the ditch. The people following the scribes and Pharisees, they were themselves blind. They're spiritually ignorant themselves. And they're looking unto these men to lead them, to give them direction. They're looking to them for understanding of how you should approach God, how you should worship, how you should please Him. They relied upon these men to guide them spiritually. They're looking to these men to know how to get to heaven, aren't they? But these spiritually ignorant men, scribes and Pharisees, were leading them straight into the ditch, straight into eternal damnation. Isaiah speaks about the same problem in his, his day. Isaiah chapter 9. Just turn over there quickly. <clears throat> Isaiah 9 and verse 16. It says, For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. In Isaiah's day, the problem was the same. The leaders were causing the people to err. They were leading them into wickedness and sin, leading them away from the truth. And the end result for the people was destruction. They are destroyed. And this is what the scribes and Pharisees were doing in Christ's day. They were leading the people to destruction. They led them away from the truth into a religion of external works. Away from the truth into a religion of outward morality and a, a dependence upon that outward righteousness to justify them in the eyes of God. They were giving men a false hope of eternal life and at the same time leading them straight into hell. You know, this is always the sad result of false teachers. This is always the sad end of false teachers. Destruction for themselves and for those that follow them. And you know, today, there are still many blind leaders of the blind, aren't there? There are many blind leaders of the blind. There are men who are spiritually ignorant of the truth, and yet they've exalted themselves into positions of leadership, and they've amassed followers after them, and they're leading their followers straight into destruction, away from the Lord into hell. You know, we can think of numerous cults today, can't we? The Mormons, the J-Dubs, the Catholic Church, just to name a few. 
And these all disguise themselves as Christian. And yet they are leading men straight into hell by their willful ignorance of the truth. They are blind leaders of the blind. So how must we respond to these false teachers today? How must we respond? Well, Christ has already told us, hasn't he? At the start of verse 14, what did he say? Let them alone. Let them alone. You see, knowing their ignorance of the truth and knowing the danger that these men pose not only to themselves but also unto others, we must separate from them, have nothing to do with them and warn others about their doctrine, warn others about their false teaching. Now, if we're going to do this, the Apostle John tells us that we must try every spirit. Go to First John with me. We're going to recognize these false teachers. We must try every spirit. First John chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. John here warns that many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false teachers have gone out into the world. We live in an age of false doctrine. There are many false teachers and they are drawing more and more men after them. Beloved, we must therefore be wary and we must try every spirit. Every spirit, every teacher to see whether they are of God. We must try their doctrine. Look at what they teach about Christ. Look at what they teach about salvation. If they are preaching another gospel they are preaching another Christ, then we must let them alone. Distance ourselves from them, but also warn others of their false doctrine and the danger that they pose. You know, the sad reality today is that more and more men don't want sound doctrine. And it's a sign of the times. Just turn quickly and lastly to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy 4 verse 1 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom preach the word be instant in season, out of season reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and return unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full, full proof of thy ministry. Now we seem to be living in the times that Paul describes, don't we? We live in the, these times where men are drawn away to false teachers. They don't want to endure sound doctrine. They don't want the truth. 
And they run after false teachers. They have itching ears for the false doctrine. The blind are leading the blind. And beloved, we must stand apart, be different. We must hold fast to the faith, hold fast to the truth. And as it says there in verse 2, we must preach the word, the truth of God's word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We must hold to the faith. As verse 5 says, watch in all things, be watchful. Be watchful. Continue faithfully in the truth until Jesus comes. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Mary Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, indeed, we live in an age where the blind are leading the blind. More and more there are false teachers, false doctrines propping up around us. And, and Lord, sometimes they're not always easily identified. Lord, help us to try every spirit. Help us, Lord, to let them alone. Help us to stand apart from them, be different, and hold fast to the faith, to the truth of your word. Lord, Christ was indeed manifest in the flesh, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. Lord, this is the only way of salvation, through faith in you. And Lord, we don't need any external rights. We don't need any, anything else added to that, Lord. We thank you for the wonderful truth of your word. Lord, may you work in our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.